Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 30th, 2020, including Phil Spencer is teasing some more enticing information regarding the Xbox Series X, as well as when we can expect some game announcements. Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming to Xbox Game Pass, the initiative gains a new notable developer, and more. To kick off this week's show, we, of course, have to mention that this week, Gears Tactics came out, the next big Xbox first-party game. Uh, unfortunately, it isn't on Xbox yet, of course, as you as you probably know. It's currently a, a PC exclusive, so if you are a, a loser out there and you have a, P a PC that's capable of doing so, you can go ahead and jump into Gears Tactics. I'd love to play it, but I, I just know I can't run that on my Surface Pro, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but I will be anxiously waiting for the Xbox release sometime later this year. Yeah, it looks like it's been getting some great reviews which is really promising people are really digging it it looks like it's a nice meaty 30 plus hour game so definitely go ahead and check that out if you have the means to do so it's always nice to see a game kind of get or an xbox game kind of get some positive attention since it just seems like xbox games either come out in a not a lot of people seem to give a shit or b a lot of people just kind of pan it because it's whatever i don't know xbox is just in that position where a lot of times they come out with pretty rock solid games and um Everyone just turns a blind eye. So it's it's been good to see people, you know, talking about praising the game for kind of reinventing an older series uh, in, in a great way, in a fitting way, and, and kind of seeing that it's, I don't know, it's, it seems like it's also selling pretty well so far, at least anecdotally or according to Steam, it seems to be doing so. So congrats to the coalition. Congrats to all of you out there who are anticipating this game and now get to uh, jump in and play it. And uh, I will be excited for my turn whenever we see that thing hit hit home consoles where where normal, sane people who live healthy, balanced lives play their video games. All right, now we will get into our comments, shout-outs, and whatnot from last week's episode. Uh, we got a couple of them to, to jump through real quick. Our first one comes from Mr. Dead Captain James, who says, How have you not played the best Far Cry game? Primal is the best. It's got a bad rep, but I really enjoy it. So this is actually like the third or fourth time someone's told me that Far Cry Primal is secretly the best Far Cry game and that it got a bad rep for nothing and that I need to just go ahead and, and, and play it. So, I mean, I don't I don't think you're wrong. It's it's not that I think Far Cry Primal is actually a bad game at all. It's actually, I remember very distinctively where I was when the game was announced. I remember being excited about it and saying, oh, that's a definite buy for me. And then it's just one of those games where, you know, it came out at a bad time. And listen, there's a lot of games throughout my college and high school experience where I just like missed the game because time and money, you know, weren't a thing. So I think Far Cry Primal is just one of those things I've I've noticed in the past year since I've kind of moved out and gotten on my own and been away from school and been in the real world, so to speak. Uh, I've noticed that the number of games I've been playing slash beating slash giving a try has just gone up exponentially. So, the, you know, this past year, aside from starting this podcast, has been a really big year for me gaming wise, just in that I've, I've definitely had a lot more time to play games and a lot more energy and enthusiasm about playing games so it's been great you know having more time for this hobby i love but you know as a result of 
you know, those those 25 years I was in college getting my bachelor's degree in liberal arts, it, I, I missed out on such experiences as Far Cry Primal. So I do plan on getting to it, but you, you know how backlogs work, okay? But I do appreciate the recommendation and the shout out to a game that my brother also swears by as a, a great Far Cry game. Next comment here is from Mr. Lethal Migraine, or maybe Mrs., or maybe, maybe... Maybe Lethal Migraine doesn't identify. We don't know. And now I'm a total dick for implying. Wow. Uh, but he, but they say the Xbox on people are either current or ex-Xbox employees, lol. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, because I, I, I see analytics, even though I don't really look at them, I, I can tell that most of you only get about 60% or so through the podcast. You all start tuning out when I start saying bullshit about new games coming out each week. But at the end of last week's show... I, I mentioned something I meant to bring up at the top of the show, which is that I discovered this YouTube page called Xbox On, and I didn't click on any of their videos, so I don't really know what they talk about. I didn't uh, apparently it didn't matter enough for me to even just click on a video and watch 30 seconds. But it looks like a bunch of European folk who sit around a table and discuss Xbox, and uh, that really upset me because I was so certain that I, I was the only one with the Xbox On name when I made this podcast. I thought I did my research, but apparently. Bing has let me down, and, it, and, and nothing came up when I searched for Xbox on, so shame on me. Um, I'm now the second person to use this name, but you know what? Who cares? Fuck them. You know, Lethal Migraine mentions that they're ex-Xbox employees. You know, I'm not even a current Xbox employee. I'm, I'm an Xbox fanboy, so that makes me more important. That makes my voice more important, and frankly, I think this podcast is infinitely better than what they do on YouTube, and, and I feel confident saying that even without having seen any of their videos, so... Suck it to the Xbox On guys. Uh, we know that I'm the real Xbox On guy. In fact, if you if you like that, if you like that sentiment, maybe I'll just go make a bunch of T-shirts that say that and sell it to you guys all for twenty dollars, and then and then pretend that I really appreciate your support. Um, and then our final comment comes from my brother Josiah here, who says Crytek is a weird developer. They are so highly regarded, but they haven't really done anything big in a long time. I personally love Hunt Showdown, but I can recognize that it isn't a giant game changer for the industry. I wonder if the remaster is an attempt to try and regain the name but I don't see that working. In fact, I think that people revisiting it will show how dated the game is. I guess I just don't understand what Crytek is really doing these days. This is actually kind of a kind of an interesting point that if any of you out there at podcasts or have podcasted before, you'll realize this is a this is a thing where you, you, you think you got all these things you're gonna say about a topic and then you turn on the mic and all of a sudden you forget half the shit you were gonna say and then people comment on something uh, a topic in the podcast, you'll be like, yeah, I meant to bring that up, but I just totally forgot, even though I stare at a page of notes the whole time I do the show. But anyway, uh, I, meant, I meant to bring this up as well. I kind of, I, I agree with, I concur um, that I think this this Crisis remaster is kind of like a, it's like a optical soft reboot on, you know, on the Crytek brand. It's saying, hey, I know a lot of you guys liked Hunt Showdown, but there was a weird, you know, tumultuous few years there where, you know, stories were coming out about employees not getting paid and we didn't really release a lot of good games and just, we were just kind of in the background, only popping the news for, for, for bad uh, reasons from time to time. But hey, let's, uh, let's, let's go back to the thing that started it all, put us on the map and, and redo Crisis. Let's make it all pretty for your Nintendo Switch and then you'll remember how good we are and then we can kind of jump off from there and decide what we're going to do next, whether it's a new, 
crisis game or a new game that we're really heavily invested in, really believe in, and kind of something that will put us back on the map. But I, I actually agree with this theory that maybe this is a kind of soft reboot on the Crytek brand, and that's the whole point of starting with this. But I, I, I do think there is uh, some potential truth to that. But that's uh, that's it. That's that's gonna do it for comments, shoutouts, and corrections or whatever from last week's show. And as always, remember, guys, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's get into what I've been playing. But of course, before I can tell you what I've been playing, let me tell you what I've been eating, which is Chuck E. Cheese cake. That's right. This past week, I uh, I engaged in a annual birthday, and as such, uh, my girlfriend finally gave in to the one request I've had for the past handful of years, which is, I just want, we don't even have to go, I know, especially this year, it's closed, I don't have the option, I just want Chuck E. Cheese pizza and a Chuck E. Cheese cake for my birthday, and this year she did so, and um, I gotta say, it was kind of the best birthday ever, and and, and I, I had Chuck E. Cheese cake, and guess what? You can laugh all you want about, you know, Chuck E. Cheese is for kids. Well, shut up, you imbecile. It was founded by the guy who uh, founded Atari. So if you hate all video games, if you hate Chuck E. Cheese, you hate all video games. And if you hate all video games, you're not a real Xbox fanboy, in which case you should stop listening to this podcast. So me wanting a Chuck E. Cheese cake for my birthday makes me a real gamer. And you are now a hypocrite for not concurring. But the point is, Chuck E. Cheese cake, it's damn good. It holds up. It's really good. For those of you um, who enjoy cake, it is very moist. It is not too moist. It is nice and dense, but not too dense. The frosting is sweet, but not too sweet. It is balanced, is what I'm trying to say. It's a good cake. It's balanced, and it's fucking awesome because it's it's just the coolest cake I've ever had. But so that's that's one thing. The other thing I want to mention. This is maybe maybe a bigger uh, conversation piece. Is this actually happened today? So I'm, this is very fresh on my mind. I'm very heated up about this. But Butterfingers, you know, the popular candy bar. I I was made aware that a few years ago they changed the recipe. My brother told me, hey, they changed the recipe to Butterfingers. They're not that good. They're not as good as they used to be. I knew that was a thing, you know, but I haven't had one since. I've been meaning to try one. Butterfinger is a candy that's very near and dear to me. As as a young child, my favorite candies were Butterfingers and Nestle Crunch Bars, but or Crunch Bars as you Americans call them. But I, what I didn't realize was that the reason why Butterfinger's recipe was changed was because Nestle, the owning the parent company of these of these candy brands, sold all of their candies, their whole confectionery line, their, their their Crunch Bars, their Butterfinger Bars, their Baby Ruths or whatever, Baby Ruths, they sold them all to Ferrero. Those, uh, well, the American division, but they are owned, of course, by the parent company, which is a, a Guido brand, an Italian brand. And so they sold out all these fine candies, and those fucking Italian Guidos were the ones who said, hey, let's Let's mess with the Butterfingers recipe. And so this is basically what I can say. I, I had one today, and it, it's not good. It's the, the, Now, the consistency and the texture is still the same, but Butterfingers now no longer taste like that artificial, can't put my finger on it, distinctly Butterfinger flavor. And now it tastes kind of like peanut butter. And I just want to say, you know, I don't eat Butterfingers because I want to taste peanut butter. I eat Butterfingers because I want to eat Butterfingers. They taste like what they are. Nothing tastes like a Butterfingers. But now Butterfingers thinks they're too cool for their own selves and that they're going to go try to chase the uh, Skippy scene and, and jump in with the peanut butter kids. And the candy bar is just ruined for me. So don't even bother trying one of those if you haven't for years. This is mind-blowing news to me. This is a total blow to my childhood as these were my favorite candies, my favorite chocolates back in the day. Of course, these days I'm a man of great taste. I prefer the Hershey brand. But, you know, when you're five, when you're six, you're a stupid fuck. You do things, you do stupid things like play the Nintendo 64 and and eat Butterfingers because you don't know any better. But now if there's any ever, ever any chance of me becoming a 
a Butterfingers defender coming back to this candy um, and kind of embracing it as my own, uh, that's no more because this candy is now bullshit to me. And with that, we've made 12 minutes of, of a podcast where I talk about candy bars and Chuck E. Cheese cakes. So our next story here, uh, or not even our next story. So now we're going to we're gonna jump away from the candy, jump away from the food topic and talk about what I've been playing. So a lot, I got a lot to go over this week. So first of all, I didn't mention last week, but I've actually started playing Sleeping Dogs. So this, this is the second week I've now been playing that game. I'm pretty far in it. I'm at actually pretty much at the end, but... I gotta be honest, Sleeping Dogs was one of those games I bought like six years ago on sale and said, oh, I can't wait to get get around to this and just never did it. I just had the Defendive Edition sitting on my Xbox One hard drive for forever and, you know, I finally said enough is enough. Let's knock this out. It's This game's getting too old. can't believe I haven't played this game. And first of all, I will say it looks old. Now, I know it's originally a 360 game. This is just the Defendive Edition was an early port to Xbox One early in the console's life cycle. So I, I give it a pass on the on the aesthetics. And some, it's an open world game. Sometimes, you know, especially back in the old days, those were harder games to make aesthetically pleasing. But man, this game does not look good. But that's not important. What's important is, you know, the story, that the way it plays. Sleeping Dogs is a game I was really looking forward to as someone who played both the true ki- true crime games as a kid, you know, you know games that this is kind of the spiritual successor to or kind of reboot of, so to speak. Uh, Sleeping Dogs is a ambitious open world GTA like game that does a lot to set itself apart, namely its its focus on uh, melee combat over gunplay. Um, and of course, you know, it's Hong Kong setting over a more traditional U.S. city setting, which we see in pretty much every modern open world game that's, you know, set in a GTA like setting. So I applaud the game for those for those things. But man, the game's characters kind of all suck. Like the, the protagonist you play as is like a total douchebag and I don't like him at all. I don't care if he lives. I don't care if he dies. I don't care if he wins. I don't care if he loses. I don't care if he finds a dollar bill on the street and uses it to buy a lottery ticket and becomes a millionaire. I don't care about this guy. He's just not an interesting character. The bad guys in this game are also lame. Everyone's kind of a street like douchebag. They're all like talking about baggy pants and and um, uh, street food and things like that. And it's just. I don't know. It's just not a fun game to me, to be honest. I think the combat's a little weak. It's really reliant on this, like, parry... Um, not this parry system. This, um... What, what, the, the name is escaping me, but, like, just the kind of defense moves, and it's not very action-y, and there's a lot of combos you can do, but it doesn't feel, like, easy and elegant to really use them and pull them off, and the game's kind of slow to roll out new attack moves and things like that to you, so overall, I just think the, uh... The combat's not that great, and it's a massive part of the game. The game's also super buggy and glitchy, but aside from that, you know, when none of that is a problem, when you're just exploring the game, the world they built, the Hong Kong they built in the game is really cool. It's really fun to explore. It's very unique for a game. I appreciate that. I appreciate that all the radio stations play, like, real popular Chinese music and that, you know, all the characters, like, slip in and out of Cantonese and English. And it's just, it's got a kind of authentic, quote-unquote, kind of feel to it. But it just seems like there's more of a focus on making this Hong Kong setting, which is really cool, but not enough of a focus on making a compelling story with interesting characters. So that game is, like, whatever. Um, The more I play it, actually, the more I'm a little more invested in it. But it's, it's, like, fun enough to play through and then easy enough, you know, not good enough to where... You'll probably just forget it once you roll the credits and never think about the game again, but whatever. I know a lot of people really like Sleeping Dogs, and I'm just a little disappointed that I don't like it more, but it is what it is. It's not a bad game. It's just not a really remarkable game. Uh, The next game I played is, this is kind of a shocking one, it's Resident Evil 3 Remake. For once, I'm going to talk about a, a new, a contemporary game. For once on this podcast, I am playing a new game 
along with you guys, along with the, the, the conver- I'm part of the conversation, finally. I'm not doing what I want. I'm just chasing the conversation so I can feel the inclusivity. Um, so Resident Evil 3 Remake, this is a game I probably wasn't actually going to play, um, and I'm really glad I did. My brother picked it up for me. He sent it over to me. He said, Jesse, play this stupid game. It's five hours long. You'll thank me later. And so I sat down and pretty much in like two settings, I, two sittings, I beat the whole thing, and I'm glad I did. It's really fun. Resident Evil 3 Remake is actually so good that I'm kind of looking forward to going back and playing Resident Evil 2 Remake later on, probably closer to Halloween, so it's a little more festive. In fact, I kind of want to go back and finish Resident Evil 7, which I was playing last fall. You might recall that, Um, but then I gave up on it because, I don't know, I got distracted by pizza or something. But Resident Evil 3 Remake is just pretty good. I know a lot of people are bummed about it because it's so short, and some purists, um, fans of the original, say that it's kind of missing some of the story beats of the first one. I can't really speak to that because I never played the original Resident Evil 3, nor would I ever give a shit about playing it, but the remake was a ton of fun, and I think from a gameplay perspective, it's really polished, it's really all there, the combat's really nice, the exploration's awesome, the balance of, like, light puzzle solving and exploration paired with, like, survival combat and resource management, it's like, it's all just so to where it's like it's not too actiony but it's not too horror and it's just a very approachable game for i think more casual horror fans like myself where you know i I, horror is a horror in general is like a genre that i just i usually kind of opt out of and i don't have too much to say about and then every now and again i'll play a good horror game or see a good horror movie and i'll be like huh why don't I uh, why don't I dabble in this more often? Because uh, games like Resident Evil Three remind me that I actually do like this genre sometimes. Uh, but then I but then I go see something stupid like Saw Six or something. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I don't care about horror. But yeah, um, just as someone who's really not a big fan of horror, I pretty much only enjoy horror in the sense of like watching those '90s Goosebumps TV show episodes and the occasional game like Outlast I thought was good. I gotta say Resident Evil 3, pretty good. I I definitely understand a lot of people might be a little upset with it. It's a little more on the action-y side and less on the creepy side or the scary side. It's very gory in a fun way. It's very campy. The last boss, while I won't spoil any of it, the last boss fight is super fucking cool and it's just it was a really pleasant five hours i do agree with the sentiment that it is a little on the short side but you know i'd rather be here talking about a game i really enjoyed that was a little shorter than i would have liked than talking about a game that i would have liked a whole lot more if it had just learned when it was time to roll credits so in a world where there are too many games to play and so many things on my backlog i'm not going to complain about you know a good game that was a little on the short side but I, I do understand, for, you know, for $60 for a five-hour game that does have a lot of replay v- uh, value. Um, still, it's a little disappointing, but nonetheless, Resident Evil 3, totally solid game. Got me a lot more uh, a, a, um, enthusiastic about the series as a whole, and I uh, hope all of you out there are enjoying that. I'm sure a lot of you are currently playing it or have just played it because you guys like to play the cool new games like Animal Crossing and Final Fantasy VII, both games where you can uh, play as anime boys that that mostly converse by sighing and making grunting noises. And then the last thing here, it's not a game, it's a, it's a, it's a game accessory. Uh, because I'm an owner of accessories, I'm a user of accessories. I got this thing called the Razor Jungle Cat. So, God, I can't believe we're 20 minutes in already. Uh, but the Razor Jungle Cat, basically, it's this um, accessory for Android phones. Uh, I, I use the Razor phone. It is it is the phone I'm currently use, utilizing. And the, the Jungle Cat is the perfect accessory for it because it's made for this phone. But it also works on, like, some of the Samsung phones out there. I think you can make it work... Um, 
maybe with some other Android phones, you just got to figure out a way. I don't know. But basically what it is, is it's like these two Joy-Cons. It turns, it takes your Android phone and it turns it into a Nintendo Switch. So it's a case you put on your phone and then the case has like sliders on it and you can take these Joy-Con, these Razer Joy-Con controllers and slide them into the rails and then it just turns your phone into a Nintendo Switch. And the Bluetooth controllers pair perfectly with my phone and then I launch Project xCloud or the Project xCloud beta on my phone and basically I'm just playing Xbox games Nintendo Switch style and it sounds like it might you know be cooler in theory than it actually is or might have some issues and not really work nope it works perfectly it's really fucking cool I booted it up I'm just I my my phone literally feels like a Nintendo Switch. It's slightly smaller. The whole setup's a little smaller than a Switch. The the little Joy-Con controllers are a little tinier, a little more cramped, and the Joy-Con controllers are, of course, already pretty cramped. So that is a big, you know, downside to it, but it's not unusable by any means. Um, and I've just been, you know, every night in bed just playing like 30 minutes of Nintendo Switch Xbox, and it's pretty fucking awesome. If you have an Android phone and you're interested in utilizing xCloud but you want to have like a good controller setup, highly recommend looking into this. This will make um this will make playing video games in bed a lot more fun and this will make uh Project xCloud I think overall a lot more enticing. So, I'm really glad I got to check this thing out and I think it's a uh, it's kind of a shame it hasn't gotten more attention. Um but yeah, definitely if you're into this kind of xCloud stuff or uh controllers that connect to your phone, you might want to look into this one because it's it's really quite cool and uh it really does feel like I'm just playing my Nintendo Switch, but with uh, games I actually give a shit about. So that's going to do it for everything I've been playing this week. Now we're going to jump into some news stories. All right, our first story here is a qu- kind of a quick one, but Rockstar Games' smash hit 2018 open world western game, Red Dead Redemption 2, is coming to Xbox Game Pass on May 7th. But GTA 5 is leaving Game Pass shortly after... Um, being on the service for only a couple months. Is this all just an elaborate plan from Rockstar to get more players hooked on these games' online aspects? So, basically, I mean, there's not much to read into it. They just announced this week, hey, Red Dead Redemption 2, it's coming to Game Pass. First of all, at this point, why do you not have Game Pass if, if if this is the kind of shit you're getting? Why do you not have Game Pass? Aside from the fact that you're gonna get every Xbox first party game launched day and date on Game Pass, you're now gonna get games like Red Dead Redemption 2, like, one of the most notable games in the past, like, easily one of the top five most notable games this this generation, but probably one of the most notable games, in my opinion, like, in the past 20 years. You know, it's, like, a very, very notable, important video game, and it's just so casually being thrown onto this Netflix, like, Xbox service. Like, dude, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to the show, you probably have Game Pass, but, like, just get Game Pass. If you don't have it, just get it. Um, this is an incredible get. I think this makes this service extraordinarily worth your money and your time. Um, the game still sells usually at $60 with the exception of, you know, sales here and there. So, I mean, you can just get a couple months of Game Pass and play this game instead of buying it for $60 and then have an ac- have access to a shit ton of other great games. So, just get Game Pass. Um, but the unfortunate news, of course, on the flip side of all this is that GTA 5 is leaving after only a short amount of time, which makes me think Red Dead Redemption 2 probably won't be on Game Pass for more than, you know, six months or something. My only, my only guess is that Rockstar is kind of doing like an elaborate kind of plan to to boost interest in their online aspects. Obviously, uh, GTA 5 and Red Dead Redemption 2 both kind of live and die by their online player base. Not so much the main campaign, even though they're extraordinary, awesome, uh, long single player games. But, you know, obviously, like we see GTA 5 in the NPD 
numbers every month. But who knows? Maybe they're waiting a little bit, and this is Rockstar's way of kind of saying, hey, let's pump some interest back into these or make sure that they these games' numbers don't start to wane. So I think what they're doing here is they're just kind of saying, hey, if you're someone who doesn't normally play GTA or Red Dead Redemption, let's put this on Game Pass and track some people who just go, eh, who, who, you know, why not? I'll, I'll download it. I'll try this game out and then maybe get some people hooked who wouldn't otherwise play these games um, and then kind of take the game off Game Pass so that we can sell it to them, you know, because once once you get hooked, what are you going to do? Just live without GTA Online? Not an option. It's, it's an option for me. I don't care about GTA Online, but uh, according to the MPD numbers, literally everyone else who owns an Xbox does because you guys keep buying it every fucking month. I swear to God, it's like you all own like a, a fucking stack, like a, a like a large a child-sized stack of GTA 5 copies at this point. Just so many units sold. But yeah, I think, I think that's definitely what's happening here is Rockstar or 2K is looking for a way to kind of inject another round of players on these online services. So they're taking massive games like GTA and Red Dead and putting them on services like Game Pass and saying... Here you go. Play it for three months, four months, whatever. We know if you are the kind of person who will get hooked to GTA Five, GTA Online, or Red Dead Online, then you're probably going to want to play this for more than two or three months, or whatever it is that, however long this is on uh, Game Pass. So chances are, once we pull it from the service, you're probably going to go ahead and buy the game, uh, and that means more money. Plus, obviously, of course, Microsoft pays a shit ton of money to get these games on Game Pass to begin with. So. Um, obviously this is just money, money, money all around for Rockstar and for 2K, uh, but nonetheless, for the time being, you know, even if Red Dead is only on the service for a handful of months, this is a great get for subscribers and pretty much a definitive reason why you have to have Game Pass if you own, uh, an Xbox or if you game on a PC, so... That's all there is to that. If you don't have Game Pass, you're probably going to hell. But that's your problem, not mine. Our next story here comes from Windows Central, and it is that it appears Xbox's Phil Spencer is quite confident that the power of the Xbox Series X will be one of the most revolutionary changes in gaming history. According to Xbox head Phil Spencer on Twitter, he says, quote, The feel of games this upcoming generation will change as dramatically uh, as any since 2D to 3D. End quote. Do the increased CPU, memory bandwidth, and more. This is quite a bold claim, and we can't wait to see how games actually run on the system. Rumors are floating around that there's uh, an Xbox Series X event, event scheduled for May, but we haven't really seen any confirmation of this yet. Uh, so to go over exactly what he said on Twitter, which is where this was announced, Spencer tweets out, Ray tracing on consoles will be great. I'm very focused on the work that we are doing around dynamic latency input. Uh, in my view, the feel of games this upcoming generation will change as dramatically as any since the 2D to 3D, uh, given CPU upgrade, uh, DLI, which is digital latency input, uh, memory bandwidth, and SSD. Um, that's what he says. He goes, so so hold on to that. Hold on to that little nugget of, of a tweet and then pair it with this. So speaking with Business Insider, Spencer also says how it was important to, quote, stand on principles during the coronavirus crisis, which may sound unrelated to this first quote, but just hear me out. So the, the quote comes from WCCF Tech. Um, and he basically says it's a long quote, so so bear with me. He goes, gaming right now globally is having a moment. Gaming is a social and community connection for many people. And as physical distancing is requiring shelter in place, it is requiring that people are physically apart and that social connections and community connections uh, that the games industry brings to people is just expanding. We're seeing a big flood of new people come into gaming. You wouldn't wish this was the way we get here, uh, ellipses. Our opportunity is to stand on our principles and our values and be there um, 
when our customers need us. We want to be very thoughtful and not exploit the situation. We're not putting in place any different business tactics or other things. We're just trying to keep all the services up, trying to keep all the games enjoyable, keeping our network safe and secure, and being there uh, and at the time of need. I'm proud that we can provide this activity for people, end quote. So, this is a really important one because the way these things will pair together. So let's talk about the first thing on its own first. This is, I hope, the last time we really have to hear teases about power or the ways that the Xbox Series X will change gaming. Because as I've said on this podcast before, I'm not the tech savvy guy. I'm not the guy who's going to watch the Digital Foundry video for 45 minutes and, and walk away saying, oh, well, obviously the Xbox Series X is superior to PlayStation 5 because yada, yada, yada. Because the, the truth of the matter is, I'm the guy who watches the Digital Foundry video and then nods in my head and is like, oh, cool, I don't understand a fucking thing you're saying. Because I just don't. I, I pick up on things here and there. You know, I have a, a like preschool student's understanding of what all this means. But it's really hard for me to really make sense of it all. So how much is Phil Spencer just kind of tooting his own horn and, and blowing smoke up our ass and just overhyping and marketing this this new product because he has a new console to sell, you know? I don't know. It's not it's not very Phil Spencer-like. Phil Spencer doesn't normally lie about stuff. If you remember when the Xbox One X was coming out, they were also really touting ter teraflops. It was, it was the first time we really saw that buzzword getting used a lot was teraflops. And it seemed like, you know, it was all buzz talk, but hey, the series, the, or the Xbox One X came out and it was definitively the most powerful console at the time, it was much po more powerful than the PS4 Pro, and you know, third-party games look better and play better and run better on Xbox One X than they do on PS4 Pro. It just it's it's how things have been for the past few years. So you know, that is a little a little example, a little microcosm of Phil Spencer. You know, kind of really talking something up and being like, "Hey, it just is what it is. I'm I'm right." You know, so let's give Spencer the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, he's not, why would, he hasn't done it before, why would he be pulling our leg now? But that's a really bold claim to say, hey, he, he literally says, quote, in my view, the feel of games this upcoming generation will change as dramatically as any since 2D to 3D giving CPU upgrade. Okay, so, I mean... First of all, I think what he said, what's important is he says, in my view, the feel. He doesn't say, you know, the visual, the the appeal, like the the graphics or whatever will be the same as the 2D, 3D jump. He says, in his view, he feels that games this upcoming generation will be as dramatically changed as the 2D to 3D jump based on the CPU upgrade alone, uh, or sorry, the CPU, the DLI, the memory bandwidth, and the SSD. So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this back to something I was saying a long time ago before we even saw the Xbox Series X uh, revealed at the Game Awards. So sometime last year, this next generation is go going to feel like a big leap in gaming, and it's not gonna be because games just look prettier than ever. So even though Spencer is kind of maybe inadvertently or maybe uh, intentionally or unintentionally drawn the connection to the uh, visual upgrade from 2D to 3D and kind of paralleled that with the upgrade from the Xbox One to the Xbox Series X, I don't think he's talking about a, a visual difference. Of course, Xbox Series X games are going to look significantly better than, than Xbox One games. Of course, Hellblade 2 is going to look a whole lot better than Hellblade 1. But I don't think what he's saying is, you know, we, we see something like Super Mario World and then Super Mario 64, and it's like, wow, that's a huge jump up, you know, because, you know, because 2D to 3D. It's a pretty easy one to wrap our brains around. But I don't think he's drawing that connection the same way. I think what he's trying to say is when you when you get that symphony, that, that concoction of 
the upgraded CPU with the DLI, the, the digital latency input, with the memory bandwidth and the SSD, when you get all of those things working together and being fully utilized on an Xbox Series X game, then you're going to say, holy shit, this is leaps and bounds better than you know what we had on the Xbox One. He's talking about when you notice, wow, these games look significantly better, plus, you know, um, everything just loads instantly. There's just no such thing as load times anymore. And just, you know, oh, oh my God, uh, the I, I really don't know what to make of the, di- uh, the dynamic latency input because that just doesn't seem like it's going to be a thing that someone like me would be able to really be cognizant and aware of. But it's just what he's saying is when you when you have all these upgrades and you pair them together, it's going to feel like a night and day difference. It's going to be one of those things where the second you try to play an Xbox one again, if you if you go back and pick up like a day one Xbox one and play, uh, you know, Halo five, you're going to be like, holy shit, this is what games were like five years ago. Oh, my God. Whereas, you know, you, you get used to the Series X and you're like. All of these new features are features I didn't know I needed. I didn't know I couldn't enjoy games without. And now I can't see myself going back because they just make that much of a difference. So a little, I think this could be misconstrued. I don't think Spencer's intentionally trying to make the audience think, oh my God, games are going to look a way I've never seen a game look before in my life because I just don't think that's true. Um, But I think he is saying, you know, just simply when you add up all these differences again, you know, I used to talk about things like think about the difference on an Xbox Series X game being like, wow, I never knew enemies could have AI this advanced before. But this is what the power of this console allows the game to do. This is what this amount of RAM and this kind of SSD and this kind of CPU allows is the developers to be able to make such sophisticated enemy AI. And, you know, you don't think of that. As, it's not something like you don't like watch an E3 trailer for a game and be like, oh, my God, that enemy AI is just so next level. But you pick up a game and you play a game and you realize, wow, holy shit, this enemy AI is next level. And it, it, so maybe he's not talking about like people will walk past a room where someone's playing an Xbox Series X and be like, what the hell is that? But he's saying people will pick up an Xbox controller, play a Series X game and go, wow, we've really come a long way. So take this with a grain of salt. I don't think he's saying, you know, Halo Infinite's going to come out on stage and, be, and, and you're going to basically turn the thing on and then you will become Master Chief and then you will be tasked with killing Cortana and in uh, fighting Covenant forces. I, I think he is saying that it's just going to feel like a big step forward when you culminate all these new advancements together. Just, just so that's the first thing. The second thing is the the second big chunky quote business insider about in regards to the coronavirus. So we're all expecting at this point in our next story, we'll also get into this. We're all expecting a May event, you know, because last time, you know, Microsoft had a big console, the Xbox one, they had a big May event. It's when, you know, they, they uh, came out on stage and showed off the console and we got a whole press conference dedicated to the, to the new console. I, I think it's safe. You know, our instinct is maybe to assume we're going to get a May event dedicated to the Xbox uh, series X. And I think, you know, now we're starting to think, Oh, in place of E3, we might get that May event. We're all expecting like this really imminent massive event for this new console in its games. Problem is that what Spencer's saying here is basically what he's saying without really saying it is they don't want to come out on stage and show off this console and have a big event for it. And then for the media, whether this is what they do or not, you know, for the media to take that message and misconstrue it as, Oh, Phil Spencer and his team at Xbox are using, you know, people staying stuck at home and, and, and people's, you know, uh, fucking government checks and all this shit as an excuse to capitalize on the Xbox brand and to really get people excited about his new console and to get people to pre-order. And what he's saying is basically right now, you know, there are a lot of people going through shit. A lot of people are losing their jobs. A lot of people are dying. A lot of people are 
being just socially distanced from the people they love and they rely on in a physical presence from a day-to-day basis. And that this is just a really hard time for a lot of people. You know, there's some people like me who can't fucking go to Disney and act like a seven-year-old. And it's just in everyone's own personal way, everyone's really dealing with shit. I don't need to explain that. Literally everyone listening to this podcast is being affected by this virus in one way or another. So he's basically saying without directly saying is that we don't really feel confident just coming out big dick swinging with the Xbox series X, because if we have, you know, the best press conference of all time or the best digital presentation of all time about the series X, it's, it's like two seconds before vice starts spinning stories about how Xbox is racist because they, they decided to market and announce the Xbox series X in a time where like certain, you know, people are dying because of coronavirus. It's just one of those things where it's like, especially in today's climate where everyone's looking for excuses to like cut the throat of the person standing next to them. You just got to be really careful about this shit because Xbox is riding really high right now, but just so barely. It's this beautiful little cocktail of like the Xbox Series X is really promising. Xbox has all these new studios making a bunch of new games. So people are excited about the potential for new Xbox games. You know, they're, they're doing the marketing all right. They're, they're avoiding all the mistakes they made with the Xbox one. And on top of that, on top of all of that, Sony's kind of dropping the ball a little bit with the PS5, which is really helping Xbox with the optics of the Series X. So Microsoft, I think, is in a position where they really don't want to fuck that up. And, you know, if if Spencer comes out, you know, in, in two weeks and they have a digital presentation where they show off Halo Infinite and they show, like, different colors of the controller and people like me are losing their shit and, and are incapacitated because of all the excitement happening on screen, there's the chance that Kotaku comes out and goes... Oh well, you know, Xbox is the uh, is the console of choice for Nazis because people are dying of coronavirus, but all they care about is selling Xbox Series X units. So again, he's saying we have to be really sensitive to the situation at hand and the kind of place that the rest of the world's at. And even though it's great that people are playing games more than ever, people are using games as a form of escape and entertainment more than ever, and more people are joining Xbox as an ecosystem um, more than ever before, we can't use this as an excuse to kind of exploit and jump on the bandwagon and push our new product down people's throats because it's just kind of tacky. It's kind of um, insensitive. And I think that's all that's happening. So on the one hand, we've got Spencer teasing, you know, how awesome this new console is and how soon we can expect game announcements. But on the other hand, he's saying, basically, we have nothing to say because we're at the mercy of kind of the public opinion in, in the uh, in the situation at hand, which is, I think, to say we have a digital presentation basically ready to go. We're ready to tell you all about the games and the console, but we're waiting for the point where, like, People are just kind of cool about it, you know, when when maybe maybe in a few weeks businesses start to open and people are kind of okay with it and you don't see a lot of people losing their minds and yelling at everyone. Maybe that's a good time for Microsoft to be like, okay, I think it's safe to talk about the new console. But, you know, if in a few weeks everything starts opening and then people are rioting, people are going to stores and like egging people for getting Chinese takeout, then now we've got a problem. Now it's like, okay, maybe we shouldn't talk about our Xbox right now, you know? So it's one of those things where I think Spencer's basically saying, I'm super excited to tell you all about this. We've got everything ready. We're good to go. We're just waiting for the opportunity. We're waiting for the point where we can say something and we don't look like insensitive asswipes for doing so. And that plays really directly into what the next story is, which I'll just lump right into it, which is that it appears that, you know, Xbox is getting ready to talk about games. Uh, Late last week, uh, Spencer replied to someone on Twitter. Basically, the original tweeter said this. um, The the guy's at Wagerman1974. He goes, hi, hi, Spencer. How are you feeling about the eventual reveal of new games and new info in the Series X later this year? 
year. How's the planning going? There are definitely a lot of hungry fans out there. So Spencer replies to this guy. He goes, hey, review the plans yesterday for continued sharing through launch. Team is doing great work and, and, and adapting. Uh, of course, he's referring to working at home. And then he goes, I've never been more excited about Xbox plans, which is a pretty cool statement. He goes, we've heard you. We want transparency slash authenticity we plan to keep showing that way next step is not too much of a weight in parentheses games next step not too much of a weight games he's talking about games basically this plays into all of what i was just saying where i think he's he's saying hey we're excited too i'm so excited to be in a position where people are enthusiastic and optimistic about xbox for the first time in a generation and where sony's kind of really like dropping the ball and kicking their feet around whereas like we're basically ready to show you Fable and and Perfect Dark Zero and another game by the Initiative and Halo Infinite and Forza 9000 and all the games in the world and we're excited to blow your mind but we got we got to wait we got to wait till someone says hey coast is clear talk about video games and nonsense people aren't dying anymore of coronavirus so it's a tricky situation but I think the whole thing is interrelated where it just seems like Xbox is has got their hands on on the trigger and they're just waiting for the opportunity to pull so it seems so it, I guess. To, to kind of wrap this up, is there a May presentation? I'm sure Microsoft had a May presentation tentatively planned. You know, let's look outside of Xbox. Microsoft as a company actually is supposedly going to start dropping a bunch of new announcements regarding their Surface products next week. Whereas we're going to see when the Surface earbuds come out, the Surface Book 3, the Surface Go 2, potentially, what else? Like a couple other products. But the idea is that, you know, a look at the Surface Duo, their new phone. So there's the rumor is, and this is a pretty strong rumor due to a lot of sources who are, who are defending so that Microsoft's going to start announcing a lot of information about their new phone and some new computers and some new computer accessories in the coming weeks in the month of May. And so it stands to reason if the parent company is willing to make those announcements, you know, in just a week or two, then why can't the Xbox division do the same? But again, it, this is this is Spencer saying, hey, I'm trying to control the messaging. I'm trying to do everything just right. We've done really good so far. It, it could be anything that fucks us up. And I'm just trying to make sure that we don't fuck it up. You know, if anyone fucks up, we're just trying to make sure it's Sony, not us, so to speak. So again, um, hopefully we will learn something soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something more like in the June timeframe. I, I really don't think May sounds all that plausible, um, but I do imagine that Xbox had initially had something planned for the May timeframe and that they still have something ready to go by mid to late May. But again, they're just waiting on the opportunity. Uh, so our next story here that is completely unrelated to the COVID-19, DICE has released the Battle of Scarif update for Star Wars Battlefront 2 this week. And for better or worse, it is the final update in the, for the now long-supported game. In addition to this final content update, DICE has also confirmed that Battlefield 5 will cease regular content updates after this summer. The reason for the end of content support for these games is that the team at DICE is now hard at work on the next Battlefield game that is planned to be coming out in 2021. However, it is important to note that the studio seems to be emphasizing the focus on Battlefield, with no mention of the future of Battlefront. It is likely that due to poor initial reception of Battlefront 2 and overall franchise fatigue, the team could be distancing themselves from the Star Wars IP for the time being. More likely, EA's licensing agreement with Disney for the Star Wars IP could be at the end of its original 10-year agreement, and Disney could possibly be hesitant about making another entry in the controversial Battlefront subseries considering the brand's overall recent reception. First of all, let's remember that Publisher EA, who owns Respawn Entertainment, creators of Titanfall and Apex Legends, who recently released Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, has confirmed that Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2 will be a thing. That game will be getting a sequel. So what we at least know is that 
EA has an agreement with Disney, you know, to at least make this new Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order game. I, th- I I don't understand. Originally, the agreement with Disney for the Star Wars IP, I believe, was signed. I could be wrong about this. I'm fairly certain it was signed in 2013, just two years before Force Awakens came out and in, in Battlefront 1. I believe the agreement was that for 10 years, EA had the exclusive rights for making Star Wars games like in a AAA sense. I think the exception was mobile. No, uh, there was no exception. So because even mobile games have been EA. So I think the only exception was the the Lego Star Wars games, which somehow, I, I don't know, TT games must have some kind of agreement with um, Disney separate for that. Um, but with the exception of the Lego Star Wars games, no one else has been able to make a Star Wars game for the past decade or so. And I believe that that agreement's supposed to expire sometime like 2022 or something like that, meaning that, you know, if if DICE, if EA are going to make more Star Wars games, we got to start announcing them soon because obviously games usually get announced about two years before they come out. Um, and we're reaching the final two years of this of this agreement. So where are these Star Wars games? We know Jedi Fallen Order is getting a sequel, but what about Battlefront? Well, it seems like DICE is really doubling down on Battlefield and kind of leaving Battlefront 2 in the dust now uh, after the game's long support. Now, I know this has to be prefaced. I know... Star Wars Battlefront 2 is a game that's had a crazy redemption story. I know that, you know, people who stu- who stuck with the game have said, you know, they really turned things around. The game's really awesome now. They've fixed a lot of things. The the loot box system isn't an issue anymore. The character situation with the uh with the special fighters with the Kylo Ren's and Luke Skywalker guys is all fixed now. It's all good to go, but Still, that's not going to change the fact that, you know, 80, 90% of people who initially played this game or were first interested in this game were met with all the critical backlash that the game got when it first came out. So that's going to be forever the 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 mainstream perception of this game. So even though, you know, those who stuck with it have said, hey, it's a really great game. Things have turned around. And that is great. I'm so glad DICE did the right thing. I'm so glad fans are now pleased with the game. That's all awesome. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, optically this game has it's just tainted it's just it's just not a good situation for most gamers that you know if if dice is going to make a battlefront 3 if EA is going to publish that game the second they announce it it's just gonna be met with a bunch of shit online and if you're disney you're probably like hmm well let's see this game caused such a fucking like uproar of bullshit on the internet when it was initially launched in 2017 originally announced it got a bunch of bullshit on the internet for it that paired with the fact that everyone's constantly up in arms about two things in this world politics and star wars like if you're disney you're probably just like let's lay off the controversial shit right now you know star wars jedi fallen order was positively met the mandalorian show on disney plus was positively met let's just focus on those two things and kind of like back the fuck off of star wars for the time being and just kind of like let people cool off because dude if i were if i were the walt disney company right now i would be like so fucking confused and scared about what to do with Star Wars at the moment because they have like shoved that brand down people's throats so hard in such a short period of time and you know this is coming from someone who pretty much likes everything Star Wars has done in recent history with the exception of the rise of Skywalker and I gotta be honest like I'm super fucking tired of Star Wars you know that's coming from someone who has like access to like the coolest themed park of all time with the Star Wars land being like 10 minutes from my home, you know, and with like all these awesome Star Wars movies coming out left and right, I should be, you know, inundated with all this awesome shit. And even people like me are just like enough with the fucking Star Wars. So I think it's just really important for EA who's trying to turn their image around a little bit, focus more on the single player, focus more on the not, you know, 
being in the crosshairs of everyone's hatred all the time and Disney with the whole like, hey, we need to do some damage control for this very lucrative and very important IP that we're kind of mismanaging right now, or at least in the eyes of the fans we are. And I just think it's probably in the best interest for the Star Wars Battlefront series to go away, or at least for the time being. And that really sucks if you're someone who has stuck with the game and seen it turn around. I know I my, my friend Hunter has said that, you know, the game has turned around and that he thinks it's really great now. My brother Josiah has said the game's really great now and that they've really turned things around. And I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for uh, all the millions of people who've probably played it and thought, wow, they really turned this around and it's a great game. But you don't want to fuck with this anymore. You, this is a can of worms. You just don't want to open up. Just leave it alone. Let the scars heal and let the uh, stupid fanboys just uh, fuck off and, and die in peace. So, I, unfortunately, I think this means definitely the end for the Star Wars Battlefront series, at least for a very long time. But if you are a Battlefield fan, if you like those uh, World War, uh, not Call of Duty games from DICE, then, hey, you're probably getting, you're getting another one next next year, probably next fall. So that's where we are with all of that. Uh, the, the, of course, the bigger story there is that they kind of just softly announced Battlefield 6 or whatever the hell they're going to call it. But the uh, the more the more seedy underside of all of this is, of course, that Battlefront 2, rest in peace. Battlefront 3, uh, we never knew you. Uh, but that's going to do it for that story. Our next one here comes from Windows Central, and it is that today Twitter's... I never know how to pronounce this guy's name, and I've been following him on Twitter forever. Today Twitter's uh, Clobriel... Uh, noticed that on LinkedIn, a developer revealed that the initiative's upcoming unannounced game runs on Unreal Engine 4 and features, quote, various weapons, gadgets, and camera surveillance systems. While the weapons, gadgets, and are common for many games, the camera surveillance system sounds intriguing. In many ways, it reminds us of Watch Dogs, um, but since the franchise belongs to Ubisoft, it seems that's either a new franchise or maybe the perfect dark reboot that people have been talking about. Uh, the tweet from him reads, quote, the unannounced project at the initiative runs on Unreal Engine 4 and features and features various weapons, gadgets, and camera surveillance systems. This makes sense given most Xbox game studios uh, work with the same engine to share tech and knowledge. So there's kind of two things I want to focus on here. The the So let, let me get this out of the way first. The Perfect Dark reboot thing, I'm tired of talking about it. At this point, it's just like, yeah, they're probably making a Perfect Dark reboot. I really hope this is a B team, a smaller portion of the studio that is working on this, and that the main team is working on something we haven't seen before, because I don't understand how you attract all this talent, um, and then you make... Actually, let me let me tie this story into the next story, just to, to make this all one more cohesive story. So, the same guy, Clobriel or whatever, also notices that... that uh, Sylvia Chambers has joined Microsoft's new studio, The Initiative, as a character animator. Chambers is known for her work at Sony's Naughty Dog, EA, uh, EA's Dice, and other teams. And of course, Naughty Dog is probably the most notable game developer in the world these days. You may recognize that many of these AAA games because she's worked on Battlefield 5, Uncharted 4, Uncharted Lost Legacy, among other games. The demo reel can be seen below, blah, blah, blah. I don't have that here, obviously. Uh, uh, Sylvia joined Chambers, uh, Sylvia Chambers joined the initiative in her role as a character animator following her work with Naughty Dog EA, blah, blah, blah. That's what the tweet says. Um, so let's take this all into perspective. So now if you're at the initiative, you have... You know, this is even more clout 
for their development talent. They've been poaching people from Naughty Dog, Sony Santa Monica, Insomniac, so all these really renowned Sony studios that make just some of the best games out there, um, as well as you know other studios like Dice and things like that. Just some really really awesome talent. They were very strategically placed in Santa Monica to poach talent from these other Sony studios and other high-end AAA studios in California. This is Microsoft's way, you know, Phil Spencer, the famous quote, let's not, lest we forget, he says, this is the studio that's here designed to create quadruple-A games, a thing that literally doesn't exist. He made up a term for this studio, that they will be creating quadruple-A games. That means I'm expecting games that are going to blow my fucking socks off. I'm saying God of War 2018, not good enough. Red Dead Redemption 2, not good enough. If you're calling this game quadruple-A, this means it has to be unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. So, a couple things strike me first. If, if, if you're a quadruple-A studio, why are we using why are we using Unreal Engine 4 instead of proprietary tech? And why are we why are we making perfect dark of all things instead of something new we haven't seen before? Listen, if if Naughty Dog, you know, I'm trying to think if Naughty Dog, let me think of a better example because Naughty Dog is not a newer studio. Let me think of Sony Santa Monica. I'm I'm the, the names of the Sony studios are escaping me a little bit. Sony Santa Monica, uh, a studio known of course for the God of War series. Let's say those guys you know, came out and they said, hey, we're working on a new game that is going to be quadruple A. It is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen in your entire life before. And we really think this is going to take gaming to the next level. This is really going to elevate the industry as a whole. And then, you know, like, oh, shit, I can't wait to hear what that's about. And then about a year later, we start hearing rumors. Oh, yeah, Sony Santa Monica is working on a, uh, a reboot of Ape Escape. You know, the PlayStation 1 classic, Ape Escape, if you can remember that. It's one of those things where it's like... I'm sure there are some PlayStation fans out there who are excited about an Ape Escape reboot, but what the fuck? That's what you're working on? And this is kind of where we are with with uh, with with um, Perfect Dark. It's like, what the hell? Are, first of all, the, per, the first Perfect Dark, which people like, is an N64 Rare game. I understand Microsoft owns Rare, whatever. Even that is that game is kind of subject to the, we thought games were better on the N64 than they really were. I promise you, Perfect Dark it doesn't hold up like we thought it did. And then they made a sequel to Perfect Dark. And this one was made with, you know, under Microsoft's ownership. It was an Xbox 360 launch game, Perfect Dark Zero. Now, I actually kind of liked that game. I thought it was a pretty solid, you know, launch era game. But it, and people don't like that game and it doesn't have <laughs> a good critical response and, and people don't remember it fondly it's not you know the the uh, the perfect dark ip is one uh, franchise that many people don't remember fondly and two a franchise that many gamers today don't even remember at all because it's kind of old now it's kind of somewhat fallen into obscurity so it's like if you're the initiative if you're supposedly working on these quadruple a games why the hell is it perfect dark because I really think at this point with all the leaks and all the uh, all the rumors, I'm, I'm really starting to buy this. I think it's Perfect Dark, but I, I keep holding on to the hope that, okay, so they've split into two teams. You know, they got like 75% of the staff working on this new, unannounced, original IP that's going to knock our socks off. And they got 25% of the team working on this this kind of cool reboot to Perfect Dark. And it'll be probably the best Perfect Dark yet, but it's it's you know, it's Perfect Dark. So I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that... You know, they, they make Perfect Dark Zero, or they make Perfect Dark Reboot. It's what everyone in the studio is working on, and they, they make us all look like dumb bitches. I hope we all go, oh, you're making Perfect Dark, that's going to be stupid. And then they show the trailer, and we see it, and we're all in tears by it. You know, we're all emotionally moved by it how impressive it is, how awesome the story looks like it's going to be, just how groundbreaking this game looks. I hope we're all sitting there looking like dumbasses 
going, oh my god, Perfect Dark Reboot. It looks like the absolute coolest thing I've ever seen. I have to play this game. I hope so. I just don't see that being the case. And on top of that, they're working with Unreal Engine 4, so it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm sorry to keep drawing the parallels to Sony Studios, but the whole point of the initiative is it's supposed to be Microsoft's response to Naughty Dog, Microsoft's response to Sony Santa Monica, Microsoft's response to Insomniac. That's the whole point of the studio. So you can't talk about the initiative without drawing the parallels to these other studios. And the fact of the matter is that Naughty Dog uses their own engine, their own tech. Santa Monica uses their own tech. Insomniac uses their own tech. Why do they do this? Because they have to create the engine and the technology that works best for the experience and the product they're making. Now, that's not to discount Unreal Engine 4. I know Unreal Engine 4 is a very impressive piece of tech. I understand that is an engine that is very widely used. And I understand that a lot of the times the reason why Sony makes their studios use proprietary tech is because that way they can keep more of the profits on games sold. So that way, you know... It, it, you know, you sell a, a million copies of The Last of Us Part Two. If you didn't use Unreal Engine 4, you don't owe Epic Games any percentage of copies sold. You get to keep all that extra profit because you own the proprietary technology used to develop the game. I get that. I get that's a huge incentive for Sony. Maybe at Microsoft, they see things differently. Maybe at Microsoft, they're going, hey, you know, when we think about the amount of time and money it would take for the initiative to develop their own internal engine and then make a quadruple A game, it's going to take so many extra years, so much extra capital that it's not it's not worth it. We'd rather just pay out the 5% on copies sold to Epic Games and use the Unreal Engine 4. Maybe that's Microsoft's train of thought. I'm sure that's exactly what their train of thought is. But when I think about this, it's just like, guys, what are you doing? You're supposed to be you're supposed to be making your own technology from the ground up that serves whatever this game is. If you're making something that's quadruple A, I gotta think about the the best games in recent history. And the, the first two that pop up into mind are God of War 2018 and Red Dead Redemption 2. Those are like the two biggest games to release in the past few years in terms of just like groundbreaking, uh, boundary pushing gaming. So what the initiative is seeking to do, their ambitious plan is to make something that is even better than both of those two games because those two games claim to be AAA games, not quadruple A games. So you're going to use someone else's engine that isn't designed from the ground up to service whatever your vision for the specific game is. And then the game you're going to make is a reboot of a of an obscure old property that no one cares about and no one has any nostalgia for, for the most part, you know, with a rare exception. And... It just, I'm not trying to be so hard on the initiative or Microsoft, but it's just like, dude, what are you doing, man? I When when they said, you know, quadruple A studio, I was expecting this is where we're going to get Microsoft's version of The Last of Us. You know, we're going to get a brand new IP, a brand new world, brand new characters, a whole new icon for Xbox. This is going to be our next Master Chief, our next Marcus Phoenix, our next Forza car for us to emotionally latch onto and associate with the Xbox brand. But instead, they're just saying, nah, we're going to take a an old character we have that that you already don't really care about or remember fondly and and try to make that a thing again. And again, I would love to be proven wrong. I, I think the perfect, I forget her name, it's like Jill or Jewel, the perfect dark character, I, I, I think she's a fine character. I think she could be reinvented to be interesting, to be exciting. I think the perfect dark universe is a potentially cool franchise, but it's also something that's just like, dude, it's like, it's like a stealthy spy thriller game. It's like, what are you going to make of that? How are you going to make an emotional Last of Us type story based on that? It's like, I again, I hope I'm wrong. 
And and I hope what we're not seeing here is that Microsoft is having too much creative control over this 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 team because I can't imagine they they formed a studio with all this ex Sony talent and all these all these talented developers from all across the industry and said, hey, what do you guys want to make? And they said, oh, we want to make Perfect Dark reboot. And it's like, what the hell? That's what they that's what they came to you with. I just don't buy that. So again, for the last time, I'm gonna wrap this up. I really really hope I'm wrong, but. First of all, they're using someone else's tech. They're not building their own tech from the ground up. And they're working on an IP that like, pretty much no one would expect this team to be working on. If you said, hey, you have unlimited time, unlimited money, and unlimited talent at your disposal, what are you going to make? Oh, yeah, perfect dark. Like, okay, fuck you. You're even more stupid than me. If you gave me that unlimited money, I'd make a sequel to Sonic Unleashed. But we already know I'm stupid. So what do you, what's your excuse? But whatever. That's, um, that's, uh, that's... That's where we are with that. I don't mean to sound so negative on Microsoft or the initiative. I'm still extraordinarily excited to see what they're working on. I still have so many high hopes for the studio. But I just feel like, you know, I, I do a lot of ass kissing and a lot of talking up Xbox. It's a brand I very much love. I shit on Nintendo all day on this podcast talking about why Xbox is so underserved, underappreciated, and it, it's only fair that, you know, when it's time to hold Microsoft accountable, it's time to hold them accountable. And I think this is an example of if things are panning out how they seem to be right now, then Microsoft is kind of not doing their job all that well and uh they need to be they need to be have their feet held to the fire over it. And uh again, I just I just hope I'm wrong. But I'm not gonna say anything new now because I'm just running circles. So our next story here in our wrap-up story for the day is that after last year's debacle with the release of WWE 2K20, WWE has confirmed that, sorry, WWE 2K21 will not be happening this year. In its place, publisher 2K will be releasing WWE 2K Battlegrounds, a new arcade brawler developed by Saber Interactive, the team behind NBA 2K Playgrounds, who is, of course, now owned by a subsidiary company of THQ Nordic. The new game will be focused on a more casual, pick-up-and-play style gameplay rather than a highly detailed, realistic sports simulator. The quote uh, from the press releasing says, We are playing what we've learned from the next WWE 2K simulator with a renewed focus on quality and fun. As part of the commitment, we are extending a production timeline and will not be releasing WWE 2K uh, simulation games in the fiscal year of 2021. End quote. WWE 2K Playgrounds will be out later this year. In the meantime, 2K has promised to keep the servers for WWE 2K19 up and running for longer than usual due to the now increased development time for the franchise. Visual Concepts made WWE 2K20 last year after taking over the franchise from longtime veteran de developer Ukes. The game has been met with abysmal critical reception to due to severe performance issues and comical game-breaking glitches. So I'm not going to dwell on this one too much. I know most of you out there probably aren't interested in sports games, although I'm always so surprised as someone who doesn't really who isn't really into wrestling. I'm always so surprised by the the wrestling fan community. It bleeds over into so many other communities, and I don't really understand what makes a uh, a generic or a, a uh, average wrestling fan but nonetheless it is a it is a important video game franchise that must be discussed so yeah the, the battlegrounds idea i think is a is a good idea first of all visual concepts obviously dropped the ball last year on wwe 2k20 uh if anyone knows <laughs> anything about that game it was a it was a fucking meme last year just go look up video game donkey's video on on that game it's it's actually the most like broken piece of shit game i've seen in so long i cannot believe that game got released in that state it's it's actually really upsetting that visual concepts probably knew it was a piece of shit and just 
didn't have the opportunity to make it any better. And it's really unfortunate for Yux, who's been, you know, a Japanese developer who's been making the 2K WWE games for a very long time and has done so, you know, to a, a massive fan base and has done so to pretty decent critical reception over the years. Like, people really like those games. So it's uh, it's kind of just a whole smack in the face to everyone involved. But I like the idea of getting a, uh, a different studio involved to make kind of a spin-off franchise. This is less insulting to the people who make the mainline games and just saying, hey, let's take a year off, kind of uh, retreat back and figure out what we need to do to make these games not suck anymore and let someone else make kind of a more fun, arcade cheaper little uh, cartoony game in the WWE kind of universe to give fans something to play this year. Um, but yeah, let's really take our time in making the next the ne- next main entry not suck so much ass. So I, uh, I think this is the right thing to do, and I think that... Uh, the cool thing about this is that it, uh, Saber Interactive, you know, they made NBA 2K Playgrounds a few years ago. They were pretty popular Switch games. Uh, they made two of them, I believe, and uh, they're pretty fun little arcade games. They're kind of like those NBA Heat games that people used to play back in the day um, with, like, the bobblehead mode and all that shit. So I like the idea of doing, like, a campy, fun, cartoony wrestling game. I think it will. it's a good way to get non-conventional wrestling fans kind of in the door for a more hectic, fun multiplayer arcade game while also giving, you know, big fans something to kind of whet their appetite over while they wait for a more traditional and proper um, WWE game. So that's where we are with all that. Not too much to divulge in that story, but, you know, <laughs> shout out to Yukes who got totally screwed over um, by losing the franchise they've been working on for so long, only for the new studio to come in and really fuck up the franchise. So uh, that's it for this week's news. Real quick, we'll just jump through the not important news stories that are important, but not important enough to get their own topic discussion. The first one is that Black Forest Games remake of Pandemic's 2005 cult classic Destroy All Humans will launch on Xbox One on July 28th. The game will retail for $40, $39.99. The next one here is that as of the past week, Xbox game streaming service project xCloud is now available to users in Western Europe. So go nuts, you damn Europeans. And then our penultimate little tidbit story here is that according to a new job posting on EA's recruitment website, Apex Legends developer Respawn Entertainment is looking to hire a senior rendering a senior rendering engineer to, quote, push next-gen platforms and PCs to their limits on Apex Legends, end quote. The job specifically asks for shader enthusiasts who enjoy maintaining or improving visual fidelity, indicating that Respawn could be looking to improve the graphical uh, quality of Apex Legends for next-gen consoles and PC. So this is no surprise. We're going to see games like Fortnite and Apex Legends move over to the new consoles because they are persistent you know, games as a service games, not, you know, one and done games locked on this generation's hardware. So nothing, but no, no surprise there, but it looks like that's already kind of in the works. So if you were waiting for news on that, there you go. And then our last one here is that Ubisoft has announced the next entry in the Assassin's Creed series titled Assassin's Creed Valhalla. The latest entry in the popular franchise features a Viking Age theme. And now I will cease discussing the game from here as the proper reveal for the game takes place tomorrow around the same time this podcast goes live. So if we uh, discuss or divulge any rumors pertaining to this game or teases, it will just be old news and antiquated the second this podcast goes live. So we'll talk about that on next week's show, but just know that Viking uh, Assassin's Creed game that was rumored is, of course, the next one in the works. And then uh, for this week, we have 
23 new games coming to Xbox. Yes, 23 fucking brand new games. And this podcast is already running over, and I want to be respectful of your time, so we are going to blast through this shit really, really fast. So, for the 23 games coming this next week to Xbox One, we've got Daymere 1998, which literally looks like The Mandalorian meets Dead Space, so enjoy Star Wars horror games. The next game here is called Ghost Sweeper, which is literally just Terraria, but you play as a ghost with a bucket on its head. And then our next game here is called Moving Out. It's a game about... Uh, a guy who has more friends than I did, apparently, because all of his friends are helping him move out, which no one helped me do last year, so fuck all you. It's Xbox One X Enhanced, so it looks really good on your Xbox and your PC. And then our next game is called Show, Show Snow Runner, which is stupid because the game doesn't show any snow. There's a lot of wet mud, and there's an old World War II vehicle stuck in the mud. So when life gets you down, hey, remember, guys in World War II really stuck in the mud. And then our next game here is called Telling Lies. It's not related to Johnny Johnny, but it looks like you play some webcam game, so it's like a stripper game, it's strip poker, it's a... It's like a Zoom game. And then our next game is called The Inner Friend. You play as a zombie, ghost, Promethean. It's missing parts of its body. And you run around. It's like Dark Souls. It's stupid, but it's Xbox One X Enhanced, so you really feel like a zombie. Active Neurons is our next game. It's a puzzle game, but it literally just looks like a bunch of colored squares. Our next game here is called Crawlers and Brawlers. It's a stupid game where you play on train tracks, meaning that you crawl, you brawl, and if you're lucky, you don't get hit by a train. You can play that anywhere, but um, not on my Nintendo Switch Xbox. The next game is called The Dread Nautical. It is a fighting game in a really shitty art style, and it's Xbox One X Enhanced. Our next game is called Gun Crazy, which looks kind of like Sonic, but with an anime girl with blue hair shooting robots, so that's actually kind of cool. I think I recommend it. Our next game is called Shred! Exclamation mark 2, featuring Sam Pilgrim. So that's a game where you play as the pilgrims and you shred. I don't mean shred as in like skateboard. I mean shred as in like like their daily tasks. They shred cheese. They they make everything from hand because those goddamn pilgrims or Amish, whatever they are, they, they don't have access to technology. So that's really sad. Pour one out for them. Not sure why they have a picture of a BMX rider on the on the game, but that's not what that's about. Next game here is called Starcrossed. It is not about Romeo and Juliet. It is a shooting arcade space game. Our next game here is called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Campaign Remastered, which I have no clue what that is, but it's Xbox One X Enhanced and it's on PS4. Level Head is our next game. It is also Terraria. Our next game here is called Streets of Rage 4. I can't believe... That's cool. There's the Streets of Rage 4. I hope that's... I hope that's not bad, but it looks like it was made by... Uh, ooh, the team behind Wonder Boy. That's... That sounds promising. You should probably play that. Our next game here is called Anti-Graviator, which is a, uh, it's basically, what's that game from PlayStation? It's called, not Burnout, not Burnout. It's called Wipeout. It looks like Wipeout. That actually looks really cool. Play that. And then our next game here is called Arcade Sprites, uh, Arcade Spirits. It is Pac-Man with hipsters. And our next game here is called Chop Chop is Dish. It is Terraria with chefs. Our next game here is called Fight the Horror, which comes out May 1st. It is, um... Another horror game. Our next game here is called Maiden Tower. It is a Japanese game, but there's literally a brick wall as an enemy. So that tells you how stupid it is. Next game here is called Robot Squad Simulator X, where you play as drone strikes in Syria, which all of our presidents are responsible for. That's why they all suck. Our next game is called Sin Slayer Enhanced Edition, which is a game where you play as Shovel Knight, but as a Viking, and then you fight other Shovel Knight, but as a Viking, and it's turn-based action, so it sucks. Our next game is called Super Toy Cars 2, which looks like... Uh, that game, Roboblox, or whatever it is that people like, uh, Rocket League. And then that's going to do it for all the new game releases. As a reminder, this, this is your last day to download Project Cars. Um, so go ahead and do that. You've got Knights of 
you got Knights of Pen and Paper Bundle until May 15th, and then it is your last day for Toy Box Turbos to be downloaded. So go get those. Lastly, before we go, our uh, our games our, our games with gold for the month of May have been announced. So got four new games. We got V Rally 4, which is avail- available all month long. We got Warhammer 40,000. 40k inquisitor uh martyr which is available from may 16th to june 15th and then we got sensible world of soccer which is available uh from may 1st to may 15th as that's our xbox 360 backwards compatible game and then our other back compact game is overlord 2 which is actually a pretty fun game according to other people that aren't me uh available may 16th through may 31st and then that is going to do it for our show I did not intend for this episode to go over so long, but I was really passionate about a whole lot of nonsense. That's why I run a show about Xbox, because what else do I have to show for my pathetic life? So thank you all for listening. As always, please be sure to stop everything you're doing. Rate this show five stars on iTunes. Apparently, it's the only podcast service anyone seems to give a shit about. In fact, the podcast service I use, CastBox, seems to be completely unknown by the world because I never see anyone ever promote it. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm still going to use it. I, I don't listen to my podcast, of course, but I listen to other podcasts on it. And then uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Rhonda Arouse Me and... Eric is going to play us out with a new song, which actually uh, he, he promised new tracks are on the way. So if you've noticed, we've been recycling some songs from Eric. Just know that Eric is working on new music. He promised. Hopefully that means that now that the pressure is on that I've publicly announced this. So thank you so much. We'll see you next week.